Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Arts Equator Theatre Podcast. I'm Naeem Kapadia, and I'm joined as usual by Nabila Said. Hello. And Matt Lyon. Hello, hello. And today we are going to talk about a new production by Pangdemonium called Waiting for the Host. Now, this is by American playwright Mark Palmieri, and it was written earlier in the year, specifically designed to be performed through video conferencing platform Zoom. Um, this show was actually actually um, comprises two plays, Waiting for the Host and Still Waiting, which are presented as one continuous um, show in two acts by Pangdemonium. And it's their first production since The Sun, which was staged in March this year, directed by Tracy Pang. So it's a sort of quirky comedy drama about a group of parishioners at a small church trying to stage the passion play during Lent and rehearsing it and, you know, dealing with life in lockdown and and their experiences. So what did you think, Nabila? Did you, like, did it resonate with you, this idea of people talking on Zoom? Yeah, it's funny that you put it as people talking on Zoom because I think, like, if you ask me if I want to watch a play of people talking on Zoom, the answer would be no. Um, but I think, like, with this one, it's interesting that Pangdemonium is staging a play on Zoom, like, kind of written for the medium. We are in, what, November of this year, um, which is really pretty late in the year for a company's first attempt to do something digitally. I think other companies have done it, you know, Jumped during in. Circuit Breaker earlier and, and dealing with this idea of people talking on Zoom, which by now, we most of us are experts at it already. Like, you know, we've done the troubleshooting and... The thing is that Pandemonium had been putting on plays online, but this was the archived mm. um, plays that they've been doing, you know, like past material, putting it online. Um, so I think, like, interestingly enough, they're doing something that's new for them, but in a way where that's almost slightly too late, if you think about it, in terms of the audience that's watching this play. I think the theme kind of resonates because the theme is how people are doing their best to reclaim a sense of normalcy during this pandemic, yeah. right? And in the play, we see this, you know, the churchgoers and parishioners trying their best to put on this play and they're obviously super amateur and not just in terms of um, playing with technology, but just like acting-wise, right? They're an amateur theatre group uh, and so they don't have the skills, for example, so you see that. But I think like, to put it kind of like bluntly, I think I expected more. <laughs> yeah, I think Pangdemonium faces real obstacles here to overcome because they are the kind of company that wants to, generally speaking, work in a proscenium arch theatre doing full-length, well-made plays. Sometimes a studio, but pretty much always a full-made, well-length play. A full-made, <laughs> well-length play. I'm going to stick with that. I like it. Yeah. And those are hard to write, and importantly, they take time to write. Yes, they've commissioned a couple over the years, like Tango and Dragonflies, mm. but those would have had a real gestation period. And I honestly think it is too early, because you've said it's too late to do it, and it is. It's too late to do something like this that attempts to get most of its entertainment value from recounting the vagaries of Zoom. But it's actually too early to do the... What am I calling it? The well-length, full-made play? <laughs> I can't remember what I'm calling it. Because that takes time. Yeah. Because what you're doing is you're presenting lived experience, but you're distilling it, you're highlighting it. And that 
sense of reducing things to their essence and turning it into a coherent narrative, just as in making spirits, you age it in a barrel. Mm. Whereas when you're doing this fragmented, episodic experience, like we saw in Who's There, the play that we talked about on the podcast last time, that's more like catching flies out of the air. It's done a lot more quickly, even if they're both of equal difficulty. And the first difficulty that Pangdemonium clearly faced here is that the well-made Singaporean play about COVID does not exist yet. And the second problem is that apparently the American one doesn't either, because this was a bad script. I agree. I think there's obviously a nice element of verisimilitude in that whole Zoom encounter, which we all have had. But as you pointed out, we're in November now. We've been doing this for well over six months. And I think seeing someone fumble over technology, mm. that sort of interaction is just not something that is exciting. I think what I possibly wanted was a play that explored the format a little bit more creatively, but mm. it just felt very, very textbook. And I think the direction in this instance did not help at all because I just saw a group of characters who are all apparently amateur, mm. apart from one uh, actress, yeah. played Keys. by Mina Kay, who is the Screen Actors Guild hopeful. <laughs> um, everyone was just hamming it up in a way that just did not um, represent the average Zoom experience for most people. So there was this strange mm. disconnect I felt about people trying to replicate everyday life, but at the same time playing as if they were for like right on the stage. And I think the biggest culprit here was Mina Kay, who was kind of completely dolled up, um, you know, with these beautiful theatrical gestures, which is her character, admittedly. Yeah. But, you know, just completely unsuitable for this medium. I mean, Neo Sui Lin, who was playing this kooky older woman called Effie, who fumbles with with getting the camera angled on her face, this would have worked very nicely as a vignette. And we spoke about these kind of little snapshots. We've seen the Corona Logs by SRT. We've seen Who's There by the Transit Collective, which was kind of a snapshot of different Mm. things. But here, they're trying to take that experience of interacting online on Zoom and make it into a coherent well-made full-length play. And no, I just it didn't Mm. work for me after a while. It's interesting because like, I mean, we, we keep talking about well-made, right? But when it comes to a play being done on a Zoom platform, well-made means a lot more things than just the story. Yeah. And I mean, here the story is quite thin, admittedly, and we've said that already. But there's things that you can do with like framing and like playing with space. There's so many things. There's chat. So we were kind of like just brainstorming earlier where we were like, the ex-lovers who are kind of like have this history, they wouldn't be talking on Zoom while everyone else is there about their history. You know, they might be talking privately on chat, for example, and that might have played super interestingly via this other thing that Zoom offers you, right? And it's not just the camera that you can play with. So I think it's about exploring the form in a more full-formed way, which I believe that Pangdemonium is still in the very, very early stages of exploring. And the script is heavily militating against it because the script clearly wants those six boxes on screen and no one moving. Now, the script has made that terrible Mm. error, but if you're going to direct that script, you've got to fight that hard. And unfortunately, Tracy didn't. And she's so good at it, usually. She's very good at getting people to respond to each other's timings. Now, that's taken away because clearly it was rehearsed slash performed over Zoom and there's a slight built-in lag, so that's gone. Okay, that's a bit of a problem. 
But now she's stuck into this frame, well, it's got to be her job to try and find some mm. interesting movement within that, because otherwise it's so dull to watch. Yeah. But just going back to like the sense of Mina Kay having this incredibly big, broad 70s sitcom performance. I mean, it was Mind Your Language, essentially, that she was doing. And yeah, she's supposed to be a big theatrical character. So when she's acting, I don't mind that. But she's also supposed to have real reactions to what people say. And they were in this bizarre music video slow-mo, mm. which would work if you were playing Miss Saigon in the National Stadium, but really doesn't work when you see it on a screen in front of you. It's like the bigger the screen, the smaller you act. You know, the bigger the theatre, the bigger you act. And she took exactly the wrong direction. But again, not necessarily her fault because Tracy is usually so good at creating a homogenous performance style from her cast. And we really didn't see that this time because on the other end of the scale, and unfortunately it's the actor who was playing most against Mina Kay, so it became really obvious, was Gavin Yap. His performance, especially in the first half, was about right for very similitude plus the amplitude that you need just to achieve the heightened form of presentation that is theatre. And the difference between their two levels of performance, especially when they were in the background, she's mugging, 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 and he's basically just listening. I found him so much easier to watch. And I think this is Tracy Pang we're talking about, and she has done so many brilliant shows in Singapore over the last decade. It's been a decade now. And admittedly, this is their first digital production, mm. but then it has been the same case for all the other companies, we've yeah. spoken so many uh, of so many shows over the last couple of months that have gone online or digitally or through sound recordings, etc. And there have been some strong ones that have come out. Mm. So there's a lot that one could do even with a script that isn't the most sophisticated and this one clearly isn't. There isn't a lot there. I think especially when you take a script set in Long Island and you try to transplant mm. it to Singapore and just throw in the word circuit breaker here and there, that does not a nice, coherent, relatable Singaporean play make. You mm. need to also work on adjusting the tone and you know the yeah. interaction and the temperature between <laughs> between the interactions and for me yeah there were these very very theatrical performances that just felt completely out of place and then the occasionally slightly more restrained one so Adrian Pang initially yeah. I think was trying to rein it in as this um this reverend Theo who calls this group together to perform the play and he's trying to kind of get order but then I just <laughs> couldn't quite understand some of the characters. There is a character played by Petrina Cow, who, for the life of me, I could not understand the reason that character even existed. All her lines could have been given to the other characters. She brought nothing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, her character is called Grace. And so I think maybe the player was trying to do something smart with a metaphor, but unfortunately, I don't think it carried across it at all. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, you know, literally I was thinking, oh, because maybe they wanted six boxes and for people to mm -hmm. kind of have that nice format of, you know, that, that yeah, screen filling up. So let's just throw in an extra character and just kind of give her a few throwaway lines. But she didn't leave any impact in terms of her character. So mm. there were things like that, which I think were script problems, obviously. Yeah. But then there were the direction problems, which you know Matt has spoken about. And I completely agree. It's not something I would have expected from a Tracy Pang play, which is normally so sensitive and nuanced and being able to draw out, you know, the exact 
responses and tone of a scene. Yeah. I mean, we talked about the biggest performance being Mina Kay, but you could also certainly put Keegan Kang in that category. Uh, he's playing uh, a New York director who <laughs> is idolized by the Mina Kay character, but is probably actually a bit of a useless prat. His performance was arguably even bigger than hers, mm. but kind of for a different reason. Yeah, so he kind of played this hammed up character um, who only appears in part two, right? Second half, um, in yeah. the second half as a kind of a surprise guest. Um, so he, he actually troubles the six frame perfection that you were saying, mm. which is kind of interesting. But weirdly enough, like, I actually welcomed him just because, like, for what he was doing, I felt that he just knew what he was trying to go for. Mm. And if everyone had gone in that kind of archetypal, hammy um, way, I would have liked the play like so much better. That's exactly it. If everybody's overplaying it that much, you lose the very similitude, but you gain the amplitude. And that's a choice. That's fine. But Keegan was essentially doing an impression of Wallace Shawn, the American actor. If you don't know who he is, he played Vizzini, the poisoner in The Princess Bride, and like he's the voice of Rex in Toy Story and lots of other things. And essentially, he's like a 70-plus-year-old, whatever, New York Jewish guy, comes across a little bit like a, an aggressive and smug Woody Allen. He's a great actor. But Keegan was acting in that manner, and Keegan is an attractive Eurasian 40-something-year-old. And that visually doesn't make any sense. Mm. If he were acting live on stage, and maybe he's multi-rolling, so his main character is someone who he could plausibly play in real life, he looks like that character, and then he does his second character as this, like, Wallace Shawn-like 70-plus-year-old, that's absolutely fine. But when you're on screen and there's that expectation of verisimilitude in casting and your voice and mannerisms all seem to be those of a septuagenarian New Yorker, it is the oddest and most disconcerting choice. Even though, you know, on its own terms, he played that role quite well. So yeah, I guess if it was all like that, I think this is weird, but okay, mm. sure, that's what you went with. But when you have that, and then you have the people who are underplaying, like Adrian, Zach, and Gavin, that's bizarre. Mm. It felt like almost an improv class, and everyone is, you know, table kind of like... Table read. Yeah, for sure, there's this table read element, but all the characters are not believable in the same way. So they mm. don't all feel like they've had lived experiences in any way that would be believable. Yeah, and I mean, like, yes, there were these funny points which I think you know as an audience member you would just kind of like you know <laughs> just succumb to them and laugh along so mm. there was a, a ridiculously cheesy scene where the two ex-lover characters who play Jesus and Judas are supposed to kiss <laughs> and then they kind of move to the edge of their screen so that it looks like they're actually kissing and it's kind of cute and cheesy and silly so there was yeah. that and I also quite enjoyed that there was this scene I think um, towards the second half of the play where they break into some ridiculous rap and, and it just kind of they get really into it and all of them are kind of trying to sing and sync and and stuff like that. So, you know, these kind of funny elements kind of make it a little bit interesting, I suppose. But 
Yeah, I think it was the tone that was really weird for me because you have these characters who are kind of a bit muted and everyday human beings mm. and then these extremely theatrical 70s sitcom-esque characters yeah. like the Keegan Kang and Mina Kay who just somehow do not sit very easily mm. and then the Petrina Cow, like I don't know what you are trying to do here and yeah. what the purpose of you existing in this play is, that sort of character. So yeah. I think overall when you watch a Pangdemonium show everyone has an equal weight and I think that's what makes the show so powerful because she's able to kind of give everyone their equal you know strength play mm. to their strengths and there is that strong energy that comes through mm. but here it felt very fragmented and yeah. I think that's why by the time I got to that second part of the play I was starting to look at my watch I'm <laughs> like how when is this going to go on yeah. what's happening it just yeah. the energy that you know you mm. it builds up like it just starts to kind of go downhill. Yeah. Actually, it's interesting that you use the word energy because I feel on Zoom, like the use of energy and, and the, the transmission of energy is so heightened. Um, and I feel like the moment the energies are not all in the same kind of level, the audience withdraws. And maybe it's what you're talking about in terms of checking your phone and things like that. I mean, like you were mentioning, there were things that I did like. So there was one point where they were talking about someone spits at Jesus, I guess. Oh, yeah. um, and then, um, because it's localised a little bit, so then I think Petrina Kao goes like, Pui! And I laughed, like, because it's so unexpected. And I think with the play, they did try to, you know, localise it and make it like kind of about Singapore. But they didn't do it quite enough. So um, mm. there were some lines that didn't quite work or it just doesn't cohere into a believably these characters would have been Singaporean or, or, or that it didn't seem like it reflected an actual Singaporean experience. I mean, every element of the credibility or the very similitude of this production is unfortunately not there. It was in the use of the tech as well. Clearly, because that lag is built in, mm. they did perform it over Zoom but it doesn't look like they used the uh, actual Zoom footage, or at least not the video footage, because uh, the video was higher resolution and had better color depth than you'd get from the average laptop webcam. So presumably they used better cameras, which is fair enough. But it meant that we have this again, this uncomfortable space between two stools where are we supposed to see it as real Zoom? In which case, we've all been on real Zoom. We know that maybe one guy has the good lighting, like I've got this set up here, but most people essentially look like crap, poorly framed, badly lit, background phasing in and out because they've chosen the VR backgrounds, things like that. But no, everybody here has a ring light. Mm. So everybody here is nicely lit. The characters with glasses don't have lenses in the frames. So, okay, we're aiming for this hyper-real perfection. Fine. But then the sound is uneven and shit. So some of them, like uh, Adrian, have a fairly nice acoustic space and a microphone that's able to capture the nuance of their voice. Others, like Gavin, seem to be using the built-in microphone on cheap Apple earbuds. And it's this thin, unpleasant, harsh sound that's very, very difficult to listen to. And then you also have two characters, Mina and Keegan, who have an incredible amount of background noise. Mm. And if you've gone to the point where you're giving them good lighting and reasonable cameras, why not give them good microphones as well? And what Zoom does is it kind of only lets us, you know, one person speaking through at once so other people's background noise gets cut off and they did that for the majority of the play so whenever Mina comes on you get incredible amounts of background noise and then it goes to Adrian and you're fine and then Mina and background mm. noise but halfway through the second act 
they seemed to forget to do that. So everyone was on the screen and everyone's mics were on and the background noise level, and again, maybe I'll just simulate this as I'm speaking, was incredibly distracting and hard to listen to. And it's just like, just think it through. If you're going for very similitude, you can make it look like crappy Zoom and we'll all maybe be taken into it a little bit further because we're like, oh yeah, that is mm. what it's like. Or you that's not what you're trying to do and you make it perfect and you have your ring lights and your good cameras, but then you need your good microphones. Yeah, it didn't help. And I think the other point I made was, and this was probably not immediately obvious to many people, is that Mark Palmieri, the author, had written two plays. Mm, I didn't um, realise. This was not very obvious because it was presented as one continuous show in two acts and the second act actually has this exposition bit so you have Ben who is the son character played by Zach Pang who talks about you know um, a girl he likes who might be coming to the read and you're wondering mm. oh why are these two characters engaging in this long exposition <laughs> and it's all because it's a separate play and you want to build all of that in. And I yeah. think Pangdemonium should have been alive to the fact that they're staging this as one continuous show. So maybe do away with those very exposition-heavy sections of it. Yeah. What do you all think about this theme of like losing hope or losing faith in humanity and trying to find a bigger purpose? And, and Because that's what Adrian Pang's character is standing in uh, for, I think right? it landed like a sock full of mud. <laughs> I mean... A play that can really make you laugh and then really make you cry. I'm all in favour of like pulling it to those extremes. Yeah. But this was just a little meander around the middle, mm. followed by Adrian suddenly going into full Shakespeare mode a couple of times. Mm. And that might have worked if the rest of the play had supported it. But for example, well, we're going to do spoilers, I guess. At the end of the second half a blank screen. You know how some people in Zoom don't show their video? A blank screen shows up with the word me, and they think it's the son's girlfriend, but it kind of turns out that it's implied to be God. You know, the whole who are you, I am what I am kind of idea, me. But again, kind of because it's like the second act is supposed to be a play on its own, that hasn't really been prepared for in yeah. the first act. So it's just, where did this come from again? And suddenly it turns serious, but it hasn't really earned that mm. seriousness. Didn't work for me. I actually liked it. Maybe it's the play I wanted. So maybe I think mm. that's why I liked it. So I was thinking about it and I realised it was literally a deus ex machina where God literally drops in and ends the story or yeah. solves the story. And I thought it was done quite well because usually with deus ex machina, you're like, oh, why did this thing suddenly come in and magically solve everything? But with this play, I liked it because, you know, we are all feeling a sense of hopelessness and then the pandemic, you know, and people losing jobs and theatres um, I mean now it's reopening but there was this yeah but under really constrained of, yeah and the real sense of loss and grief is still there so I really enjoyed it because I felt like it was something that I really needed kind of yeah. deep in my bones um, so when I saw that me and uh, Box and mm. he was um, communicating via the thumbs up emoji right so yeah. Adrian Pang would ask like essentially yes no questions and then God would be like thumbs up it actually touched me. But yes, I do feel that it came out of left field and, mm. and it was shoehorned, essentially. But it was a kind of clever touch that I appreciated. So it's kind of fulfilling your wishful thinking. It's like, this is what I want the world to be and oh good, you know, it's kind of almost an escapism. Possibly. I think that is an interesting segue into the the kind of the meta, the, the production surroundings of this, the way it was framed and publicised. Because 
we had to watch this play at set times, even、mm. though it was not performed live. There was a built-in fifteen-minute interval, and the you know Pandemonium has said we want to create this special sense of going to the theatre, and we've seen that in other plays. Whenever there have been somebody people who were actually performing live. Or wherever there's been an interactive element, like with、um, Murder at Mandai Camp, that seems perfectly justified. But the idea that you're doing that, but then because this is on a screen, I'm at home in my underwear watching it. I'm, I don't have that communal, almost sense of going to church. You know, that sense of a shared ritual. I'm just at home on my couch. Then that becomes an inconvenience, and it's such wishful thinking. I think. For the theatre company to believe that that is still relevant or possible in this production, and of course one sympathises with them. Of course, that's what we all want of theatre, and it's genuinely sad that we can't have that. But the flip side is that pretending we have that, and I'm sorry to say this, it's an arrogance because you're up against Netflix, where I can pause it and、I、can play it when I want. And the best of that is of an infinitely higher quality, and that's very, very sad to make me feel this because Pandemonium's a great company, and I'm really looking forward to a either them working out how to use this medium, or b best case scenario getting back into packed theatres as soon as possible. I'll be the first buying tickets, but this is some kind of twisted reality that nobody can get a grip on. And I think、uh, I think their grip slipped very problematically here. Yeah, I think the timing issue which you mentioned, Matt, that was something which I didn't quite understand in this instance because, like the other shows you mentioned, Who's There and Monday Camp, those had a real. Real life interaction with audience members. There were polls, or there was a chat. But here. It was completely pre-recorded. I mean, yes, there were live interactions between the characters, but the whole thing was filmed and edited way in advance. I don't see why they had to have this fiction of let's start at nine o'clock, let's have a fifteen-minute interval when I could have watched it at three o'clock in the afternoon and then had my evening free. So、mm-hmm. I just didn't quite see that. It's nothing to do with the play, but it's to do with the company trying to kind of set up this. Ritual and、mm. you know, yeah, maybe arrogant might be s- too strong a yes, word. Yes, I, I use that word with regret, and but, I understand but, why you、yeah. would want that. Like, but、I、look at what everyone、maybe. else. Look at what everyone else is doing. I think, and I think you need to sort of perhaps be a bit more、yeah. sympathetic for the times. But I think what I wanted to actually just go back to what Nabila said because, in fact, that kind of existential ending. For me, it redeemed the play a little、mm. bit because I got to the point where okay, fine, I you know the format was entertaining in its own way, and you know I got a little bit of that. It felt sketch comedy esque, and then it really outstayed its welcome for me. But when that me entity was introduced, and Adrian Pang goes into this kind of slightly deeper soliloquy,、mm. um, and you start to feel the play as a sort of bigger commentary on like what has this year done to us,、yeah. right? Who is out there, like?、Um, Can there be hope? I mean, what what is the point of us doing these things, staging plays and performances, and and kind of going on with life? Is there going to be light at the end of the tunnel? And there was that real sense of like a little heaviness that you feel because that's when the play actually struck a chord. It wasn't so much the 
fumbling interactions mm. over Zoom, which I've seen in real life and experienced for months now. I didn't need to see that dramatized for me. But I think those larger questions that we're all thinking, when will we travel again? When are we going to go back to a regular office? When are yeah. we going to be in a packed theatre? Yeah. These are things that really genuinely strike a chord. And I think those were some of the questions that they were trying to grapple and make that play a bit more universal. Mm. So, yeah, maybe it was out of the blue and it wasn't at all built into the first half but I actually liked that ending that slight tug at the heartstrings if you like that you know made the play bigger I completely agree with you yeah yeah and I think I've said some fairly harsh things about this play but we're all in theatre you're used to the situation of being able to make whatever you want from the materials at hand, the tools that you're familiar with. But we're all scrabbling around in the dirt for gold at the moment, and Mm. some of that dirt just does not have gold in it. So this doesn't mean that I've lost any respect for Pandemonium, and as I've said, I certainly look forward to their next production. And I'm also quite happy to support this in terms of buying tickets, and I'm I'm certainly glad they gave it a go, because Mm. just exercising those muscles is incredibly important. Yeah, I guess that kind of leads us on to what we're going to do on our next podcast, which yeah. is not really talk about the, usually we do a, a favourite of the year, but no. I think there's more interesting things to talk about now, right? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't seem appropriate to be, be talking about favourites and judging like really quality in this kind of outlier of a year. So I think we, in our next episode, we are kind of looking at the landscape of theatre and, and how companies have been responding to not just the pandemic in general, but all the different things that happened during the year. You know, circuit breaker and then mm. like audience numbers being like 50 or 5 even right at, at one point. I just put on a production with an audience of 7. Wow. And then there's also now blended audiences or blended performances mm. and all of those are very specific things and require a lot of adjustments with the companies and with artists and things like that. So I think we want to really take stock of the year and really pay attention or, or give some due credit to what companies have been, been doing and how the art scene has rallied together. Yeah. Um, all the different, you know, maybe even like fundraising and, and things like that that people have been trying to do, outreach, panels. There's been so many panels. So yeah, so that's what we're going to do in our next episode. So stay so do check tuned. that out. And till then, thank you very much for listening. This is Naeem Kapadia. Nabila Saeed. Oh, we're doing our names. I want a special name. This is Chad Powers. Or Matt Lyon. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> bye-bye. Bye.